Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Today we're talking about Hatching, a Finnish horror film that's currently streaming on Hulu. While the film is from Finland, principal photography was done primarily in Riga, Latvia. And today we're going to talk about how this entertaining movie came together. Joining me are a panel of guests. First, the producer of Hatching, Mika Ritalati. Mika, welcome to Below the Line. Thank you. Nice to be here. Glad to have you. Also joining us are two representatives from Mistress Media, a film production company based in Latvia. First, executive line producer Gintz Gruba. Gintz, welcome. Hello. Gintz, glad you're here. We're also joined by executive line producer Alina Gadina. Alina, nice to see you. Hello. Nice to see you. Nice to see all of you. I'm really glad you guys could come talk about this. A warning for listeners, today's conversation may contain spoilers for the film. Nonetheless, go watch the film. Before we go anywhere near spoilers, though, let's talk about how the model for film production is different between Europe and the United States. I guess like in Europe, the number of co-productions between various countries is, is quite high. So we, we collect the financing from various sources. And then there are like a bunch of co-producers who involve in, in also the, in the artistic input on the film. The same thing is that there are regional funds, which often dictates where we are going to shoot the film. And, and also the, the languages vary a lot depending on the on 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 your the language of your country like hatching was made in finnish although we shot it in latvia but in finnish in latvia one major difference that uh, shooting and, and fil- filming of films is very much supported by national funds by governments in europe so i think that is the the biggest difference and then comes in the co-production opportunities uh, among different countries that is also very much supported by European unions and funds of European unions. So we have both very strong national support uh, for producing films. Plus we have European level uh, support. But of course, parallelly, it's also, uh, we have not only this funding system, uh, which is uh, one of these main segments of uh, EU film industry, but it's we also have a, film market which is pretty similar to US when we have investors or we are not working only with soft money we're also working with uh, streamers funding uh, and some other investors funding it's uh, what we don't have we don't have the studio system which is in US this is main difference I think we don't have a universal or paramount we have only uh there is a paramount represented in the, uh, some European countries, but it is uh, still the same paramount. And maybe one thing also is that the majority of the in most important film festivals are in Europe. So there is a tendency of, of aiming for the festivals first, which, which may have an impact on the content as well, compared to the, the American films that are mostly made for the American local audience, maybe wider than European ones. Well, Mika, in that environment, talk to me specifically about how Hatching came together. Hatching is a co-production between like Finland, we are the major co-producer, 
And then there was Sweden, Norway, Belgium. We are on board like like a co-production partners. And then we showed it in Latvia with Mistress Media. So they were our line producing partner over there. And there was also this pan-European funding system, Yuri Marsh was in, involved. And also there is a pan-Nordic financing fund, Nordic Film and TV Fund, and they were all like supporting there. The financing came from various countries, and it also meant that some of the artistic artistical input came from those countries. Like we had costume designer from Sweden and and, and the sound post-production and sound designer was, was from Norway and was done in, in, in Lillehammer, close to Oslo. So it was a combination of these artistic elements from various countries and such. And how was the decision made to do production in Latvia? The, the film takes place in Finland in, uh, story-wise. So it should be something like very Nordic country. And, and we knew that we couldn't go very far from the Finland. But Latvia was, was offering very like, they have a long tradition of, of, of producing foreign films in there. And, and we, we felt that we are safe doing it over there. And there is also a couple of regional funds offering financing if you go and shoot a film there. We had one in Finland as well. We applied for it, but we didn't get it. So, so we were looking for a suitable place both content-wise, but also like financing-wise. The positive side we were looking for it was that, you know, when, when creating a horror film, and if you shoot that in a country that is not exactly yours, so maybe the Finnish audience might notice that there is something wrong in the picture, but you can't point out what is wrong, but there is some sort of a strange feeling that everything is not quite right. So this is something that we wanted to gain to do it in Latvia. Like, so you know, door handles are different, maybe. Something that you don't notice, that you just feel that this doesn't feel like home. Obviously, this doesn't work outside Finland when nobody knows what, what the door handles in Finland <laughs> are like. But there's that sense of unease from things being just a little bit different for the home audience. In Latvia, everything will be a little bit different <laughs> if you are planning to shoot here. <laughs> Very true. Ginsar Alina, tell me more about what uh, Latvia offers to a film company coming to town. I think the, uh, the good example, what was Mika mentioned already, is that uh, and it is for uh, its whole build uh, very complicated film and how to find this new solution to combine this uh, soft money which is coming from fundings together with this uh, cash debate system which is uh, more or less in many European countries these days and it helps uh, I would say to make your film bigger more interesting it's uh, not only for small countries because to it's a it's a good choice to raise a budget of film and, and which could reach your artistic uh, expectations uh, but it also uh, helps to work uh, with very different nationalities and people of very different background together and this is actually i would say very good synergy in, in it is it was how we always in our experience it's not always easy it's also always also very difficult but uh, at the end this synergy of this different experiences uh, how to make uh, uh, films uh, 
is really helpful and you'll see in, uh, in, in the results. Uh, and it also helps uh, for us or for Mika because uh, everybody, uh, as you know, everything in the film industry is based on contacts. How many people you know from where and how, and when you work for your distribution or for looking for other partners, uh, everybody from your team uh, could help you with uh, some of the information or or some of the contacts. It's, it's it's really works perfectly, I would say, from this point of view. But uh, uh, yeah, Latvia is as everybody uh, any. Uh, we had also some other films which uh, was. Uh, also completely shooted in uh, in Latvia, there was a Hungarian film, very successful, Natural Light, uh, by Denis Nadja, first time uh, Hungarian director, which won the Silver Bear in Berlin Film Festival, which also was uh, co-production, but it was co-production combined with the Kashyabay system together with Latvia, which really helped to make this film really bigger to, to start with a smaller budget but through this cash system and through this minority funding which is which we have in Europe uh, it's helped uh, to make a very interesting historical film about, about Second World War. Well for Hatching specifically, again we talk about the benefits of the synergy uh, of the crew coming together. But at the basis level, I mean, people aren't even speaking the same language. Like, what was it like to sort of put this crew together? Mika, who did you bring in and then what did you get locally? Or were there other sources of crew as well? We had most of those head of departments coming from Finland and Sweden and some of them from the UK as well. Those puppeteers and, and those special effect makeup. But the whole crew in, in Latvia was put together by Mistrus Media. So it was kind of a turnkey solution from them to us. Rainis Calvins was the active line producer in, in there. And I don't know if, if those guys are the same one with whom you work regularly, but for us, it, it was very helpful, obviously. Since if you go abroad to work with a foreign crew and you don't know them at all, so it's there is always a huge, huge risk if you hire the right people. But when you're having a, a regional producer over there, then you can expect them to know those p- people and so that they can put together a good crew for you that you can trust. Because it's all about the trust. The shooting schedules are always so tight that there is no space for any like mistakes or, or always can something happen, but you need to know that there are people who are capable to face any any kind of a circumstances and, and conditions. We are extremely happy with the crew. I mean, that, that production in Latvia was like the best of my life. I mean, compared to the Finnish productions, the size of the crew was a bit higher, so it was like a bit bigger. There were more people on the set, but everything worked perfectly. So it was like a very smooth experience. So, so, so I'm, I'm very grateful to Mr. Media to put this, this team together. And, and I, I, I would love to return there to do my future films again. Unfortunately, the inflation rate... Please welcome. <laughs> well, thank you. But I think that the inflation rate has made it a bit more difficult that the salaries in, in, in Latvia have gone up recently, haven't they? 
No, it's already down. Uh, it was just uh, it was connected with a uh, war in Ukraine. Uh, started from Russia last year, but it's made some influences on, on economics. But uh, about the crew, I would say it's it's more or less uh, is experience and psychology because uh, if you spend 20, 30 or 50 days together, it's uh, a very big task of psychology how you how you will work together mm-hmm. <laughs> and that not to fight. Also, seriously, it's, uh, it's of course, uh, experience because all these people worked before on many uh, big uh, international productions. They have very different experiences, how to work with uh, big Austrian television productions, how to work uh, with HBO, TV drama, Chernobyl. They they have really different experiences in previous productions to provide uh, film services in Baltics. And and it's really helpful. We are relatively small three Baltic countries, and uh, it's, it's made, I would say, some uh, ethics of, uh, of 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 how we work. One advantage in in work coming, Finland is also a very relatively small country, and that that is one of the advantages. So that if you work here long enough, you will know people, and the people will know you, and it's kind of a mutual trust. There are people who come with a big bang on 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 the field, like new companies saying that we are the best, and then in two years they are gone. And same thing happens with the freelancer workers. They come, but when they if if they can't perform, they just lose their job opportunities, just like that, because everybody knows everyone in the film business in Finland. And and the same thing with you in in Mistress Media in in Latvia. So if if person is not a reliable then you don't hire him or her anymore, right? Absolutely. I think the main thing maybe is also to say why it is uh, appealing to go uh, money-wise to shoot abroad, uh, not just the great and professional crews, which is, I think, the the most essential thing. But this cash rebate system works uh, so that for almost each euro that is left in Latvia, uh, you can get uh, back uh, for your production budget or post-production budget around 40% because we have two funds that are operating uh, like that. And from one fund, you can get uh, back uh, from 20 to 30% and from the other from 20 to 25%. This, uh, as Gintz mentioned before, this is how you can raise uh, the budget for your film. Of course, uh, European countries are in a way competing about uh, about those productions like Hatching could go also to Estonia or to Poland maybe where there are also similar nature to Finland. But um, so also countries and production studios in European countries try to make uh, their particular country the most appealing for your foreign production to be shot in. Of course, we have a lot of uh, fantastic locations, and it was a uh, uh, really uh, good uh, task from Finnish company uh, to find some locations which looks like Finland, but, but are not Finland. But I had also in my experience, uh, I remember some 
producer from London asked me if uh, we could build up uh, streets of San Francisco in in Latvia, which is not so easy. It's difficult, <laughs> <That would laughs> but be, we could but we could try. <laughs> that might be a bit more of a stretch. Well, when you're talking about the locations, it reminds me of the house, which is a central location. A lot of the film takes place there. When it came to locations, door handles aside, Mika, was part of that scouting before you made the decision to go to Latvia, or are you committed to Latvia and then you're just going to find things that work? Well, we decided that we we check if we can do this in in Latvia, and and finding that main location, the house of Tinia, that was very very big thing, and and I think that it was not only the house, it was the surrounding, the whole kind of a neighborhood needed to look like in in Finland, or what it, what is, and and there is. Interesting enough, there there are very big uh, the cultural differences that you can see in in the architecture. Like how different? What is the way how people like their houses to be built? So it's it's different. But luckily, finally, we found this one one house. It was like was it like maybe ten kilometers out of of out of the center of the Riga? Very close to the center of Riga. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. But the traffic in Riga is, is quite quite heavy in, in the rush hours, so it really may take one hour to drive there, almost, or at least back. Yeah, that is true. If you choose the wrong hour. Mm, exactly. But uh, but those guys, of course, knew these hours and, and they, the, the daily schedule was, was done so that we could travel when, when the rush hour was out. But it was it was a big thing, and and I think that the location manager and and the director they worked for weeks or even months of trying to find the main location. We we made several trips over there to see some possible locations, but there was also always something small that was missing or was was very typically Latvian that would have destroyed the actual feeling of being in Finland. I would just add that Hanna uh, Bergholm, the director, she was very particular and very concrete of what she wants. And, and she was really paid attention to every little detail. So uh, it was at the same time, very, very hard task. But uh, on the other hand, she knew so so well what she wanted. Uh, so it, it made also location manager to really work <laughs> to find the perfect house. And she found finally, luckily. <laughs> it was also, of course, not difficult because it is a contemporary story. It is a genre film and horror film, and it's a fairy tale, but it is a contemporary fairy tale. And uh, for us, it's, it, it was, of course, challenge because we worked before on many different historical films. In this case, this was also for us very interesting to to step in something which is a different area of storytelling and visuality and uh, and film style. But uh, regarding these locations which we started, it's of, it is of course connected with the history of Baltics. It's a reason why we have so bright scale of all these uh, locations. You could find uh, 18th century, I don't know, wooden architecture. You could find uh, Art Nouveau area. You could find, I don't know, uh, castles from from medieval. Uh, you could find Soviet uh, architecture. And I remember in the last Berlin Film Festival, I was asked by many uh, European and also from American producers who had some projects in Russia 
which was completely stopped. And they started to look for for the places in, in Baltics uh, which could be uh, you know, similar from the in, in the Soviet style architecture, which we we could uh, simulate uh, as Russia, because as you know, cinema is always small lies, and we could lie in these locations very perfect. So Latvia offers a lot of different architecture. You said both historical and good point. If you were trying to film in Russia and you weren't doing that today, Latvia might be a good option. For Hatching specifically, what was the balance between locations work and stage work? And where are your stages set up? Are they in the capital, Riga, or further out of town? Uh, the stage is set in uh, in Riga. It's it's not in the very center, but a little bit uh, further from the center, but it's uh, it's five kilometers, not ten, <laughs> okay. from the center. So it's very close to the center. I don't remember particular uh, how many days. Maybe Mika remembers the exact uh, proportion uh, of studio shots and the the and, upstairs uh, of Tinia's home was built in studios. So all these like bedrooms and 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 bathroom and and the corridor they were built in the studios. So most of the scenes where Ali the puppet is is there were shot. They were, I think, all of them were shot in the studios. Yeah, probably. Terro's house was shot like there. We we had the exterior and interior were in a different places, but Tinia's house, Tinia's home, and the downstairs were the same locations. Some exterior, same exterior, and same uh, interior. I think that the, the number of days in in studios was maybe like maybe fifteen or so. That was the like, the November shooting session and and then maybe we had or maybe it was even a bit more and then there were like 20 something days in in the locations so it was a bit more on the locations than on than in the studio as far as i i, I remember Elena, that's about the right i think figures. it's about right there there were i think under 20 days on studio the studios are beautiful old very big buildings and they they really have a history and sort of a tradition over there and i i really like to to work there as well there we don't have such a big sound studios available in finland at all i don't remember the the, the size of it but it was very impressive but we are working at the moment uh, for new sound stage actually because it is a uh, really great but it's built in 50s there are so many productions coming in last uh, last years to Latvia that we need more sound stages as this old one, which oh, is yeah. uh, really practically it's uh, it's great. It's have uh, three good good sound stages uh, for studios. The new sound stage is that located in the same in the same area. No, it's uh, it's a project. We have uh, some options from local municipality uh, where it could be, but it's uh, at the moment it's a project. But uh, I hope during the next years uh, it could become real. Mika, I have a question for you that's not so much about filming in Latvia, but you mentioned that the puppet work was mostly done on stage or in the studio sets. Talk to me about the balance between practical effects and visual effects for what is really the centerpiece of this film hatching i and and we are great great admirers of of practical effects and and from the very early start we knew that there are important scenes where there is a young child a young girl and a creature 
and we thought that okay, obviously the girl can't be a professional actor, actress, because of the age. So we we thought that we want to do as much as possible on practical effects. So we knew that we are going to build a puppet, so that when she is touching the girl, the bird, there really is a real touch and and real connection, and the reactions can come naturally. So so we knew this from the from the start, and we connected to a a animatronic puppet designer from UK, from London. It was actually funny, hilarious that our director Hanna Barryholm. She just googled. She typed in like the, the best animatronic designer in the world, and there was the name of Gustav Hogan there. He, he had a web page, and there was just an email. So she wrote him an email that, "Hey, we are doing a cool horror film with a puppet. Would you be interested?" In? And he replied, I said, yes. The thing that we didn't know by then was that he had very recently established his own own kind of animatronic studios. And, and he was working by, by those days for Star Wars something, which was very different kind of a thing when, when you work for the studios. Obviously, you're just a very small piece in a, in a huge machinery. So, so we could offer him an opportunity to really become part of the creative team. So he got excited and, and, and he made perfect puppet for us. And the funny thing is that since we needed like five people to move the puppet, five people handling those rods so that the, each part of puppet would move and two people with joysticks uh, controlling the, the movements of the animatronics movements. So... It was not very intimate set over there when she was having the, the creature and, and they were making friends. So there were like seven person around her dressed all in green suits, like like aliens over there. On the other hand, it was good because then the, it wasn't scary for her, like in real scary. So, But, but anyhow, that was funny to be there. And, and, and then when seeing the film and all those people have been removed there digitally, so... The illusion is there, and also, also the when when the puppet starts to transform gradually to become a more of a human being, and and we we had like four stages of of this transformation, and 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 we knew that the second transformation will be a dancer with with a full mask, the third one would be our actress with the half face mask. And the last one will will be the actress with only some prosthetics in in on on the face. So we also wanted to have these prosthetics to be done with with high quality. We knew that 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 is essential for the film. That the quality of the puppet and the effect needs to be something that when when the audience sees, they believe that this is happening for real. So so we invested a lot of our financing in in that, and I think it paid off. We, we got best. Our prosthetic designer was was O'Connor, and he he yeah, is is Oscar nominated for. He has been working for Saving Private Ryan and 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 those kind of a big films. So really very professional. And then digitally, we we did only some. We removed, of course, obviously these rods that you needed for for to move the move the puppet. And some like something was done for the, the eye pupils of the bird to create more like emotional things over there. And 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 then there was like the f- flying bird was created digitally. And 
Well, the creature work is fantastic throughout, and I can see how it all these different elements come together. It's it's really seamless. I, again, a, a highlight of the film. Are there other specific scenes or locations that were challenging or unique about this film? I mean, for us, one one another key building was the house of Terro, where the mother mother is starting to have a relationship with Terro, and and then. Uh, Tero is a handyman who who is is renovating the building, so it it shouldn't be too like new, and and we wanted it also to be in in tradition of some these these classical horror films. So a, a building where you might feel that it is you know not safe enough, and I don't know who knew this building. But the the exterior they found was like is it like fifty kilometers out of Riga or or something something like that. Like- yeah, as I told, we have a lot of a lot of this uh, wooden architecture from nineteenth century still existing, and uh, it's uh, somewhere is uh, also protected uh, from the government. But when uh, it uh, really helps for film makers for location scout, uh, people who are doing location scouting to find some very, sometimes very strange examples uh, in in nowhere, in, in the middle of forest. And, and it is, uh, and it makes, uh, especially uh, as Mikato genre film or historical films, uh, very, very interesting because of these real locations, which are not made especially for films. These are all real existing houses and locations. For a small European film, Hatching did very well internationally. Yeah, yeah, it did. It, it has been sold all around the world and it has had a cinema release in US, in UK, in France, in Germany, and, and you know, various countries. So we are very happy for that. We are, of course, very happy about the international success of uh, Hatching premiere in Sundance and uh, it was a time when exactly this uh, push of genre films really started and it is I think uh, Mika and Hannah and uh, all crew could be very happy that uh, Hatching was uh, on this first wave of this uh, genre film popularity which is which we are observing these days in festivals, in platforms, and everywhere. So looking ahead, should we expect more film production in uh, Eastern Europe? Give me a sense of what's coming down the pipe. Well, it, it always depends on the on, on funding, but I think that um, though our national authorities were not so keen to initially to fund genre films, but now it has changed. And uh, I think, well... Finnish Film Foundation were ahead of time and they were funding such films, but I think now more and more also national authorities fund such films and I think it is to be expected. And our Mistress Media have one genre film, Samuel's Travels, that also was uh, released in United States and uh, maybe Gins can tell more about this film. Yeah, it was a film by director Aikara Petian. Uh, which is uh, which was premiered in uh, in Fantastic Fest in Austin. There was in U.S. distribution. A distributor in U.S. changed the title. In U.S. distribution, it's uh, Squeal. It's about a talking pig and midlife man crisis, and how a foreigner is coming to Latvia and uh, find uh, some rural area 
where he could ask his uh, more essential life questions about uh, his past and future. But yeah, I think the Finland is a specific country in this sense of humor. They are living in bigger darkness uh, as we Latvians uh, during this uh, winter times. <laughs> and uh, this is probably the reason why they have a very specific sense of humor also in this visual storytelling. But uh, yes, I think the Eastern European cinema is becoming more diverse as before. There was, of course... We still are doing lots uh, of historical films, uh, important uh, historical films about uh, 20th century, but uh, but I think there are coming more and more interesting films about uh, these days' uh, problems and, and also uh, genre film stories. It's also like the concept of Eastern Europe is changing very radically because of the war. Yeah, like, of like course. Russian, yeah, Ru- Russian used to be part of Europe, but now, now I don't consider them anymore to be part of the Europe. Yeah, we just finished uh, editing of a big historical film, which is uh, also co-production uh, with Lithuania, about which is based on real events in in Stalin Russia during the Red Terror about uh, origin Latvian German uh, silent film actress Maria Leiko. She left. Uh, Nazi Germany in 1934 uh, came to Latvia, and then uh, in 1938 she 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 was in Moscow, and uh, Stalin's people offered here to start working in uh, in theater. And uh, when the Red Terror started, then Maria Leiko and all Latvian theater and many other minorities were totally killed. But when we started this production and to work on development of this film. Uh, it was before war in Ukraine started, and uh, there was absolutely no different context. We wanted to tell the story uh, about part- this particular story about the uh, life story of Maria Leiko, but uh, these days this film have more additional levels: uh, how to live in totalitarian regime, how to be an artist in totalitarian regime, uh, uh, the questions about collaboration. It's it's really made this film more in more I would, I would say not more important but in on uh, on on very different level as it it was planned in the beginning. And if we talk more generally about genre films, I, I feel that genre film, especially horror films, they usually handle something about very subconscious level things, and it's very easy to tell big stories, stories about like real horror, real scare real like love and, and real danger in there you don't have to like it, it is not in the nature of the horror films so i think that at this time what we are living now people long for that kind of uh, stories that really go to the to the dark side of of the human mind so that they can handle the situation and understand what's going on with us so i think that horror film is is offering a good good way to do that and on the other hand, sometimes drama films may be a bit, you know, slower, even boring. But with horror, <laughs> this very seldom happens that you get bored when you, when you watch horror. <laughs> no, it's, a, it's it's classical, as Mika telling. It's a, horror films are 
uh, told, uh, especially in, in 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 times when everything uh, goes crazy around uh, the world, and it's uh, somehow paradoxically made uh, helps uh, people to survive in this uh, with this uh, cinema mythology or something like that, and. I think also uh, important aspect. I think for when we are, when I'm thinking about our region, why I see some tendencies for very interesting genre films coming out next years, is that this connects with this uh, our mythology. I think the Finn Ugro mythology or uh, Baltic uh, Balts uh, mythology is really rich. Uh, with uh, very crazy stories, which are very very useful for to create uh, interesting scripts and uh, uh, visual the imagination of uh, our filmmakers. And uh, this is something new, which uh, it's not so well known in in, uh, in European cinema before. It's something very unique, I would say. Well, it sounds like then, uh, yeah, we'll expect more uh, coming out of the region and. Uh... I look forward to seeing more of these films. Uh, on that note, we're going to call it a wrap. It was really fun talking to you guys. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Listeners, I always appreciate your feedback. You'll find my contact info on our website, blowthelineoneword.biz. That's B-I-Z. You'll also find past episodes and links to all of our social media. So check it out. Mika, what else have you been working on since hatching? Or where are we going to see your work next? Next horror film will be The Meyer. It's a folklore horror set in 19th century in in Finland. Again, female director, female writer. Actually, the writer won an audience prize last year in Sundance with the girl picture. She's writing it for us, Ilona, and Marika Harjusari is directing it. It's again very strong female view on on the horror and and, and the tradition. In in Finland, the female Women have always been very strong, especially in, in, in those pagan religions. It was like a connection, it was a very sexual connection like between the harvest and, and, and the female, female strength. There are some like very bad things coming from the forest and they need to protect the village from them. So. But you have to wait for a couple of years, I'm afraid. All right, well, Mika, we'll put a pin in that and we'll watch for it. Oh, excellent. Uh, Gensin Alina, you mentioned Squeal earlier, which is in festivals now. Um, tell us what other projects from Mistress Media we should be watching for. So we are at the moment finishing, as I told, uh, Maria, uh, Maria Silence film by director Dallas Siemens, uh, uh, who is really outdoor cinema, well known in uh, his films in so many European festivals before. Editing is finished, now we started sound post-production and uh, all color grading processes and uh, we hope that at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year, the film will be finished and we could realize. But yesterday we met a young uh, student of the film academy, he came to us about a uh, uh, horror film uh, script. Uh, which is in also a story about love and in, in forest, but uh, I didn't read until yet, but I think it will be the next project. <laughs> I have this feeling. Yeah. <laughs> right, we'll, we'll watch for that as well. 
Once again, really glad to have everybody here. My closing credits, thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Wong for our logo, and all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends. Thanks again from below the line.